Hope that you had a good prayer time. And I know we'll take that list and we'll be praying for one another. And we know God is working in lives. And we're praying for God's grace and for His will and His plan in these different needs. Luke chapter 2, of course, we know this chapter well during the Christmas season. And I do want to, with the Lord's help on Wednesday nights, look at uh, several people in the Christmas story as we are using Wednesday nights to go through a series on Bible characters. So we'll spend the next few Wednesday nights, starting tonight, looking at some characters in the Bible related to the Christmas story or the Christmas season. And of course, on the 21st, we will have a candlelight service, we'll have scripture readings, and a time of song, and uh, devotional, and uh, some testimonies. But Luke chapter 2, of course, we know is the story of the birth of Jesus, that uh, great event, and uh, the greatest event uh, besides the the crucifixion and resurrection of of Christ, the angels and the shepherds. And then we go down to Luke 2 and verse 21. Of course, we don't have a lot of scripture regarding the upbringing of Christ. We know a lot about his birth and the events surrounding his birth, but then there's just not a lot recorded. Uh, God chose not to give us uh, a lot of uh, scriptural uh, inspired accounts of Jesus's upbringing, and maybe that's a question that we'll have answered in, in heaven and glory one day, but we do see in Luke 2 and verse 21, and when eight days were accomplished, For the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So again, in the keeping of the law, Joseph and Mary, being very careful to obey the law of God, the Mosaic law regarding circumcision and presenting Jesus to the Lord and the proper offerings uh, being given there as he is dedicated to the Lord. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So we understand by the sacrifices that were given that they were not wealthy people, Uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And then that brings us to verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law... Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This is all that we know about Simeon. This is the only place in Scripture 
that it is recorded any of the facts about Simeon or any of his words that he spoke. This is the only passage that uh, we have in Scripture regarding this great man of God. What an incredible event. What a special time. And let's look at Simeon a little bit in detail tonight. And we will see that just by implication, inferring a little bit from the passage, he was an older man. He was an aged man. We joke about age, and we know that old is a relative term, right? And the older we get, the more relative age becomes, the more relative that number uh, becomes. We understand that he was probably an older man. He had been waiting for the Messiah. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he saw the Messiah. So there are some things in the passage here that give us indication that he was an older man. But more significantly, he was a just man. And uh, again, in your prayer list, on the back side, on that one uh, half sheet, there are some uh, blanks, if that helps you in filling out the, the outline or following along. If that helps at all, you can uh, fill in uh, some of those blanks and follow along on that outline there. But this is speaking of his character. It speaks of, first of all, his salvation. He was righteous before God. He had been justified by faith. So he was a just man in that he was a saved man. He was righteous before God because of his faith in Christ, the Messiah. He had repented of his sins and placed his faith in Christ. As an Old Testament saint looking to the Messiah for his salvation, Simeon recognized the Messiah as his one and only Savior. The only one who could provide salvation for him. He was the only way. And here is Simeon now seeing in the form of an eight-day-old baby, seeing his salvation. He'll speak to that, and we'll look at that just a little later. It also speaks to his integrity. Here's a man of character. He was a just man, but oftentimes when we see the word just, it's speaking not just of the fact that that person is a saved person, but it speaks to their character that they are living out then and there at that time. Here's a man of character. And I know that there are many people that we'll look at in Scripture, and some we have a lot of information about. God records a lot about their life. Good, godly men and women who there are records of their failures. We know Simeon. There's no record of any kind of failure in his life. That's an incredible testimony. But we know that he was a sinner. We know, that, we know that he was a sinner saved by grace. So there was obviously some measure of sin or failure in his life. But the point is, what is recorded of him in his character is that he was a man of integrity. He was a man of righteous character. And for having his name in Holy Scripture and for having just a, a, a short period of, a uh, short passage that records something about him and some of the words that he said for it to be spoken of him that he was a man of character. That, that says a lot. 
if we were to have a short eulogy or bio, something maybe that would even just fit in a handful of words on a monument, on a gravestone, what would be said about our life? What, what would be said? What would stand out? Our character, as you've often probably heard, our character is our destiny. Our character is what goes with us throughout all of our life. Our character is what we are when no one else is watching. Different definitions for character. But the fact that he was a just man speaks to the fact that this is a righteous man who loved the Lord, who obeyed God, and was looking for the Messiah and was living accordingly, was living in light of the first coming, just as we should be living holy lives, waiting for his second coming. As we are reminded in Scripture that we should be living pure lives, anticipating the second coming of Christ. Here's a man who was living a pure life, a holy life, not a perfect life, but a righteous life in anticipation of Christ's first coming. And then we see he was a devout man. We also see here just and devout. So this means he was a religious man. He was a pious man. He was a man, again, of good reputation. The fact that he was devout means that he was faithful in his religious devotion. This is an Old Testament saint who was still under the Mosaic law, who was there, led of the Spirit, in the temple, doing his priestly duties, his, his, his duties as best we understand as a priest, as a Levite. And there he is when the Spirit leads him to do his religious duty. He is there when Joseph and Mary come with Jesus and he is there to fulfill the responsibility that he had before God. And I can't help but make the application. How many times when we're just doing what we are supposed to do in simple obedience, how God honors that and how God can use us just by being obedient and being faithful even in the little things. And again, I go back to dealing with students in school. I've been a student. I've been a, a child. I deal with children. I deal with uh, my own children. It's true even for us as adults. But I remember dealing with students many a time in school. You're at the wrong place, at the wrong time, with the wrong people who are doing the wrong things. No wonder you're in trouble. You're not where you're supposed to be, error number one. You're not where you're supposed to be. Number two, you're not doing the things you should be doing because you're in the wrong place. So you're not where you're supposed to be, so that means you're not doing what you should be doing. And then you're around the wrong people, and then you end up getting in trouble because then they go the next step and they do something and you are caught up in it and now all those wrongs add up and it's no wonder you're in trouble and again how many times do we find ourselves in trouble because we are in the wrong place the wrong time with the wrong people and then the temptation is there i love how Rand hummel uh, says if you know anything about Rand hummel and former director at the wilds now he's director of the wilds in new england he has uh, several books and devotionals, and I, I, I've enjoyed hearing Rand Hummel speak. 
And he talks about making it hard for ourselves to do wrong and making it easy for ourselves to do right. And we often make it easy on ourselves to do wrong instead of making it easy on ourselves to do right. And we place ourselves in the wrong place. We have the wrong people around in our phones, the internet, and all of the screens make it so much easier to do the wrong thing at the wrong time, to be around the wrong people. And I've dealt with students through the years who mom and dad did not know that they had made separate accounts on their social media using somebody else's phone. And I would hear things like, oh, my girl, my, my, my daughter, my son, they would never do that. And then you pull out the phone and there's a, an account that they made using somebody else's phone and they have a an account on social media that's full of garbage. And the parents are saying, oh, my kid would never do that. And yet there it is, living proof. And again, someone gave them their phone, gave them internet access, disobeyed mom and dad, made that account in violation of mom and dad, and then put things on there that were entirely inappropriate. And no wonder they're in trouble. Here we have a man who is going about his priestly duties, his Levite duties, led of the Spirit, fulfilling even in the little things, waiting, waiting patiently for the Messiah, doesn't know when he's going to come, but he is faithful in what God has given him to do. He's in the right place at the right time, doing what he's supposed to be doing, and in come Joseph and Mary with an eight-day-old baby, as they are also doing the right thing at the right time, obeying God's law. And what a tremendous occasion this is as he holds that baby. And I know this is just an artist's rendering, but can you imagine the joy of holding an eight-day-old baby boy who's the Messiah, who is your salvation? I mean, it's been a joy to hold all of my kids can't hold them anymore, can't even beat them in, well, I can still beat a couple of them in arm wrestling, maybe, I don't know, it's been a while since we've tried, I'm going to get a dare tonight, I've held all of my kids, and you know how precious that is to hold a child, to hold a grandchild, can you imagine holding in your arms the Savior, your Savior, I mean, just incredible, incredible, what a, what a privilege, and again, we've talked about the fact that he was waiting. And waiting for what? The consolation of Israel. Here's a title for the Messiah. Where does this come from? I love the unity of Scripture. I love how Scripture complements and supplements. We interpret Scripture by Scripture. And I'm going to skip ahead because he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And here's a handful of verses that speak to the consolation that Christ brings. Why is this title in Scripture for Christ? Because He is our comfort. He is our consolation in so many ways, from death to suffering to the fact that He brings satisfaction that the world cannot bring. He is our comfort. People are desperately looking for answers, for satisfaction. We are in a crisis in our culture of loneliness and suicide. Children who don't have good relationships with mom or dad, broken homes, 
kids who are crying out for security, for comfort. I tell you what, there is something about having a rough day at work or having a rough day at school and being able to come home to a home of peace. Coming home to a place where mom and dad love each other, where, yeah, brother and sister sometimes get in a fight, squabble and whatever, but there's something about coming home to a place where there is security. And as much as young people want to rebel and they want to say mom and dad are old and don't know what they're doing, when mom and dad are home together and showing love for one another and are raising you in a Christian home and have you coming to church, thank God for that. Don't despise that. Because there is a comfort and a security. And watching young people who just, they're desperate. You walk through the mall and they're wearing dog collars. And they have more chains than Mr. T. How sad. They're just starving for attention. Desperate. That's why we have a social media craze and a TikTok world. That's why Twitter is such a, I don't care who's in charge of Twitter. What is Twitter all about? Attention. That's what it's about. It's about attention. Where does that come from? Because we are social beings. We want approval. We want affirmation. We want attention. God gives us the greatest affirmation. God gives us the greatest approval. God gives us the greatest comfort and consolation. We have to find it in Him. And if we come from broken homes, if we come from homes that don't have that security, then it's even more important that we look to God, who is the father of even the fatherless, and can come alongside the widow. It's incredible how God makes up and provides, even brings people into our lives. I think of testimonies, think of a teacher we had at our former ministry who grew up where her mom and dad were divorced at a very young age. And her grandparents stepped in and they made a huge difference as her mom was not right with God. And finally, God got a hold of her mom's heart and changed her life. But grandma and grandpa stepped in and made a difference. Praise God for grandmas and grandpas who even if the kids don't do right and there's a mess, grandmas and grandpas who step in and point those kids to the Lord. Amen for that. That's part of God's comfort and consolation. Look at all those prophecies fulfilled that Simeon was looking for, that Simeon recognized, that we see that title for Christ. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. That's even in Handel's Messiah, uh, one of the the, uh, stanzas. In Handel's Messiah, Isaiah 49 and verse 13, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people. Isaiah 51 and verse 3, for the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. Isaiah 61 and verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Isaiah 66 and verse 13, as one whom his mother comforteth so will I comfort you, and ye shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Is, is it not a significant title 
of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the consolation of Israel, and we see him fulfilling these prophetic passages from the book of Isaiah. And that's just in the book of Isaiah. And go back, and I'll go ahead and just stop there. Of course, the Holy Spirit was upon him. We see that there also in verse 25, and the Holy, Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So we see the Holy Spirit. This is, again, this is Old Testament. So I know it's New Testament, Luke 2, okay. But this is before the Holy Spirit is given at the day of Pentecost and indwells believers. So we're seeing the work of the Trinity in the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. And he is... Not necessarily indwelling Simeon. It's not said that he was indwelled, but we can see that the Holy Spirit was working and Simeon was so close to the Lord, so looking to God, so faithful, just, and devoted that he was led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been functioning for all eternity his ministry became more full in the New Testament with the indwelling of each and every believer. But here's an Old Testament saint, similar to how some of the Old Testament saints, the Holy Spirit would come upon them. We see that here with Simeon. And isn't that encouraging that God wants to use us? And as we, Ephesians 5 verse 18 be ye not drunk with wine, where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, understand that when we get saved, we get all of the Holy Spirit we will ever have. Okay? We didn't get part of the Holy Spirit when we got saved. Okay? And, and the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go from us. And the Holy Spirit doesn't partially fill us, and then when we really are having a good day in the Lord, He fills us maybe three-quarters or 90 or 95 percent. No, we have all the Holy Spirit we will ever get when we get saved. He comes in and dwells us. It's a yielding, it's a allowing Him to control us, allowing Him through the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God who points us to Jesus Christ, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to direct us, so that we do the will of God and we live an obedient life and we live a holy and a righteous life. Is there no doubt that Simeon was a just and devout man because he allowed the Holy Spirit to lead him? He was not led by the culture of the day. He was not led by all of the superficial and shallow externals he understood the significance of the law of God, the symbolisms. He understood the imagery because he saw and he looked ahead to what those pointed to, the Messiah. And because his eye was on the Messiah and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, it's no wonder that the Holy Spirit led him. Even to that very day into the temple where he would meet his Savior as an eight-day-old baby. And then we continue, as I already went through these verses, we'll just point these out, and I'll leave them on the screen, as I've already talked about these a little bit already. 
we see some lessons from the life of Simeon, that he believed the word of God even over the shallow, legalist hypocrisy of the day. We've been spending time in the book of John, and we've seen the religious leaders. We've seen how even going to a Passover feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and they are totally missing the whole meaning of the Passover, and instead they're wanting to murder Jesus. They hated him. And how many people in that city in Jerusalem that day, in John 12, as we've been looking at on Sunday mornings, how many people totally missed the fact that the Messiah was there in their midst. The Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Simeon didn't get caught up in all that. Simeon believed the word of God. He believed the prophecies. He believed the truth. He believed the Messiah was coming. And he saw through, or he saw in the images, in the sacrifices, in the symbolism, in the law. He saw that it was pointing to his sinfulness. The law as a teacher taught him that he could not fulfill the law. He was a sinner And that only the Messiah could save him. Christ could save him. And his eyes were on Christ. And that's why he would say in verse 30, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. The salvation that God has brought that I need. He understood that he needed to be saved. He was a man of integrity. He was a faithful man. He valued the things of God more than the things of this world. I think it's all very clear in his dedication and his devotion that he was not caught up in the things of the world. He was, his mind was on, his his mind was set, his affections were set on things above, not on things here on this earth. And again, think about all the people who missed the Messiah. But Simeon didn't. He understood the prophecies. Yes, the Holy Spirit had revealed that he would not die, Uh, until after he saw the Messiah. But again, that speaks to his integrity, that speaks to his love and his devotion for God and for the Holy Spirit uh, leading him. And we see Zacharias, Elizabeth, Joseph, Mary, Anna, just a handful of names in the New Testament who recognized the prophecies, who understood the Messiah uh, was, was coming. And again, the Holy Spirit was... Uh, evident in, in their lives as well. But there are religious leaders in this day, in this time, in this historical context, there are religious leaders who knew the scriptures and ignored the prophecies and hated the Messiah. Isn't that incredible, the contrast there? And yet here's humble servants of the Lord, faithful, dedicated, led of God, because their eyes were on the Lord, they saw their need for salvation. They were humble and teachable, and God revealed himself to them in incredible ways. He had eyes of faith toward God's full redemption plan. He saw salvation through faith alone in Christ alone. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. There again we see salvation is offered to the entire world. We see that salvation was intended not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Wish we had time to go to the passages that speak to uh, light. We know from John chapter 8 and verse 12 that Jesus is the light of the world. Acts 28 and verse 28. Acts 13 and verse 47. Matthew 4 and verse 16. But going all the way back again to the book of Isaiah, the mention of this 
light to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. He's making reference to passages such as Isaiah 9 and verse 2, Isaiah 42 and verse 6, Isaiah 49 and verse 6, and Isaiah 60 and verses 1 through 3 all make reference to the Messiah bringing light to the Gentiles, to the Jews, to the world. No doubt, Simeon is making reference to those passages, those prophetic passages that speak to the Messiah being light and bringing light to the world. That light being salvation. Some will reject him. We see there in verse number 33, And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. And then Simeon blessed them. And then he speaks to Mary. He says, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. Some will reject him. That's the reference to the fall. Some will reject him. They will stumble over Christ. He will be a stumbling block to them. Not because of anything that he has done wrong. Of course not. He's the perfect sinless Lamb of God. But some will stumble over him. They will fall. That's the ones who reject him. And there will be some who will rise. Those are the ones who receive him. And he is a sign we see there which shall be spoken against. Okay? There are some signs that aggravate us. Do not enter. I want to go in that room. I want to go in that door so badly. A sign that says 55. What about the ones in the school zone? 25. In a school zone? My car can idle faster than 25 miles an hour, right? You know? Really? There are some signs that just aggravate us for those who reject Jesus Christ. He is a sign that is spoken against. He is the sign of salvation that warns them of their sin and points them to their need for Christ, their need for salvation through Him, and they speak against it. And aren't we seeing that in our culture? Even with this Respect for Marriage Act? Once again, we see Christ, we see truth pointed to very clearly This is the way, this is the truth, this is the life, this is the right way, this is the righteous way. Wisdom crieth out, Proverbs says. And yet it is the very sign that people speak against because they reject Him. They don't want to obey the sign. They don't want to follow the rule. They don't want to go the way God says. They don't want to trust in Jesus as the only way. And he prophesies even of the fact that there will be a rejection. And that brings us to these last two points. In conclusion, he spoke of the heartache that even Mary would experience. A sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. The humanity of Mary, obviously being a human, um, as a mother is what I'm trying to speak to. The fact that she's a mom and she would see her son persecuted, hated, tortured, murdered. Can you imagine how hard that would be for her emotionally? To see Jesus suffer the way he did, understanding at the same time that he was her salvation. And she even made reference to that in her song uh, that is referenced often around this time of year. She knew that she was in need of the Savior, who she gave birth to, the God-man, Jesus Christ. But for a mom, it's, it's hard to see our children suffer. I know it is as a dad, but there's a special bond that a mom has with her children. And again, I don't want to get too carried away, and I'm over time already, but abortion, it has incredible emotional effects on a woman. 
when her offspring, her seed, is murdered in her womb. That takes a huge toll. And basically he's saying, Mary, you are going to have an emotional sword pierce you. But God is going to give you grace. And God would. And God would take care of Mary. And she would see, obviously, her son rise again. The God-man, Jesus Christ, rise again and provide for her salvation. He told them how Christ would expose the hearts of men for good and for evil. And that's the end there of verse 35, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And isn't that the way it is again, that Christ is that dividing point, that crisis point that we talked about on Sunday from John 12, where we must either accept or reject Jesus Christ. And he ultimately then reveals the heart of man, their eternal destiny. Great prophetic statements that that Simeon makes. What a wonderful uh, story, events, and recording in Scripture of this great man. And may we learn much from him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our church family, our time together tonight. Thank you, Lord, for Simeon, for his example. May we be faithful. May we be obedient. May we be led by the Spirit of God. And Lord, by your grace and your mercy, may we receive honor and blessing, Lord, from you as we are faithful to you and obedient and live a righteous and a just and devout life for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here. Sorry I went over a little bit. I hope that you have a wonderful evening, and we look forward to seeing you again on Sunday.